Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Megan. And I'm Deidre. And we are excited to be back with you again today. I don't know <laughs> it's why. like it happens every week. <laughs> it does. Well, we took a little quick break during the summer, right before our Sabbath uh, series, uh, like two weeks mm-hmm. off. And I actually miss it. I, I enjoy talking about these things. I enjoy having this exchange. Did you see what I did You. There? you miss seeing my face over a screen and having Enneagram conversations. I don't know about the screen, but because I'm looking at my face a lot too, but uh, also the last time we recorded, you're like, you're very animated. So <laughs> then, it wasn't was- a criticism Enneagram one. I was just like, oh, you're really fired up about what you're talking about. Well, it was the animated part that, so then it makes me want to watch my face. Like, am I being too expressive? I don't know if I can help that, but and this, dear listeners, is reason number 412 why we don't record these for YouTube. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, not even an option. People are like, get on TikTok, do reels. I'm like, eh, not so much made for videos here. <laughs> I don't want to do that. No, no, thank you. Especially every once in a while, we do them really early in the morning, like, and I'm like wet hair or late at night when we can find time and looking rough, like, no not recording those. Our first four that we actually did as a ministry for the Dauntless Grace Exchange were video. uh, And they were you solo because I refused to be on them. (laughs) (laughs) But I was very obsessed with my mouth. I don't like seeing my mouth talk. And now that I said that you're going to be looking, so my hand is covering it. I see Um, your mouth talk because we send each other Marco Polos. I see it all the time. (laughs) It's just so, that's why I don't like doing it. My mouth is so small. It's like my face is so big and it's like, my face is eating my mouth. It's like my mouth is so tiny. And then it's it's ironic. (laughs) 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 All right. The gloves just came off. The topic changed. We're going to talk about anger and what to do with anger. And (laughs) actually, I haven't even introduced the topic yet. (laughs) No, I mean, if people are still listening to us right now, it might be a good chance to redirect. (laughs) Oh, we're going to talk about how each Enneagram type moves toward wholeness. I feel like that's a great segue from what we were just discussing. <laughs> my bad, my bad. <laughs> oh, funny. Okay. Are we ready? I mean, are you ready? <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Was that a cheer that you guys did? I feel like that no. was a cheer that we used to I thought to you were singing Taylor to me and my heart started to like grow three sizes, but you're not. Was that a, is that a Taylor song? Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I've you know how many solo dances I saw to that song when uh, Lila was in dance competitions? Like, oh, I bet every fourteen-year-old girl that have you ever song. gotten through a dance competition without at least two or three Taylor songs? Oh, probably not. It's because she's a genius, and we can discuss the merits of Taylor Swift songwriting abilities some other time because I need to come better armed and I'll get my friend Krista on this conversation because she knows every single lyric from every single album and why she's a songwriting mastermind. Oh, oh mastermind. Do you see what I did there? It's a song from Midnight's. <laughs> I didn't see that coming because I, I don't know the titles of those songs. Oh. oh, I mean, I know some of them cause you sat me down and made me listen to them. <laughs> you enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed some of them and I will say I enjoyed that album a lot more than the one before where she was in her phase of repeating the same word for a whole chorus okay that was four albums ago and you're talking about reputation which ironically the song ready for it is from oh is it 
Mm-hmm. So we're back full circle. Anyway, <laughs> ironically, was not what I was singing. I was doing like a chanting cheer from junior high, but that's fine. Well, just to kind of put a little stamp on this conversation, if we're talking about moving toward wholeness, I just want to say that my biggest lifetime regret right now at the current age of 40 is that I didn't get tickets to go see the Eras tour when it was in Kansas City or Chicago. So I just want to point that out. Like, I'll deal with that and move toward wholeness like continuing on now, but that's going to leave a giant hole in my past that last fall. I didn't get online and get the Ticketmaster tickets for Taylor. I think regrets and wholeness are two different conversations. (laughs) (gasps) Well, yeah, I'm just saying like that left a hole in my life, like H O L E that I didn't get to go see it. Wow. See that what I did there. We have said, see what I did there multiple times (laughs) already, and we haven't even opened up the topic of this conversation fairly (laughs) well let's start with ones how about that I feel like we always start with ones why don't we start with nine and work our way backwards (laughs) Ooh, let's do it let's do it okay all right ever do it in your Instagram series because you don't like the way it messes with your color palette but we can do whatever we want on this podcast you're welcome because Mason Julie Mason this is for you and she's always like why are we always last all right So what happens when an Enneagram nine moves toward wholeness? Also, I intentionally chose the words move toward there because that is a phrase that we learned from Jenna Remersma, an IFS therapist that we've had on our podcast, because she kind of breaks IFS, internal family systems therapy, down into this whole concept of moving toward, moving toward self, moving toward others. And so what happens when what we say that every Enneagram number is broken at its core, like we are all self-protecting, we're all self Um, securing. We're all trying to grasp for our own longings and desires and fix our fears. Um, And so in the process, we are disintegrated and broken. But when we can start reintegrating and moving toward wholeness, which is an IFS kind of a practice, then we are doing, we have more integration and we we're doing that moving toward self, moving toward others and that awareness and compassion piece. So I intentionally chose that title. That's good. Um, I I also love this idea of what you're saying is like, here's what we're, what we know about a nine in a averaged unhealthy space. And here's how they can move toward wholeness. And this is a growth step, right? It's, it's moving up in the Enneagram. It's moving to a healthier space. And I, I just heard Suzanne Stabile use the language around that the same Enneagram that tells me what's wrong with me, which is kind mm-hmm. of what's going to be on the left side of your image is the same Enneagram that tells me what to do about it. And then when we pair that with IFS language and the tools of that, like moving toward those parts of ourselves, it's just such a beautiful instrument um, to move toward others as well in more wholeness. So love that. Yeah. And we know from conversations uh, with our IFS team, especially last year, like Tammy Solenberger, um, Joan Ryan, they talked a lot about the eight C's and the five P's of IFS. So even though I didn't use these words on every slide, like this was kind of the model we're looking for. Like when we are operating out of our true self, which means hopefully we're not going to see our Enneagram type blasting out as much as we usually do. Um, We should be moving in calmness, clarity, compassion, curiosity, confidence, courage, creativity, and connectedness, plus presence, patience, perspective, persistence, and playfulness. That's awesome. The five C's I did not remember. I mean, I remember them now that you said them, but I always kind of refer to the C's, even though I'm not sure I could list those without looking at the list. But Oh, I was reading them totally. Can you say the five P's again, just for me? Mm -hmm. Presence, patience, perspective persistence, playfulness. 
that's really good. So when I was eight season five P's are the things like kind of emanating from us, like the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those things, then we know that we're operating out of our Imago day, the true self that we were created to be and not the broken self-securing, self-protecting Enneagram images that actually exist in our, at the core of um, the brokenness. So that's good. Okay. That's all a big giant setup. We'll go back to Enneagram nines then. So what happens when an Enneagram nine moves from a disintegrated stuck in their type uh, nine toward this more integrated whole nine? We know that they are going to start where they feel stuck kind of in apathy or numb to life, but then they can move into some place where they become more aware of their own passions and desires. That's good. Yeah. We know that their instinct is to stay safe and comfortable and hidden, isolated, especially in sometimes in fear or just because um, they're afraid to step out of their comfort zones, but they can move into courage when they step out of those places and they try something new or engage in something that would bring them out of that safe space. And it's interesting as you look at those things on the wholeness side, nines moved to three insecurity mm-hmm. and so those are some of the beautiful gifts of a three which is really cool right but they're with the nuance of how a nine would move into that space versus how threes already are in a health you know would move into their own in a healthy space so I think that's kind of cool because passions and courage and stepping out and those are all just very kind of three language so that's what we need correlation and if you look at the graphic do you see how the slide graphic has the nine the green that i associate with nine and the the um contrasting color is the threes color yeah that's very cool i, that I did that for all my slides that growth color is the contrast for each one yeah. mm-hmm. if you don't know what we're talking about you need to go <laughs> jump on instagram at enneagram megan and the series is there uh i don't know if the nine is dropped yet hopefully it hasn't it won't drop till friday <laughs> Oh, whoops. You're getting a sneak peek in this podcast. Okay. Or if you need the visual, listen to us on Friday. All right. And the third one that you have on there for nines stays paralyzed by seeing both sides. And then as they grow and move toward wholeness, they can assert themselves to benefit self and others. So instead of staying in that paralysis of kind of seeing gray (laughs) and seeing everything and the importance of all of it, they can begin to step forward in that significant piece and move really into a, a space of, you know, we call them peacemakers, although I kind of like peacekeepers better because unless they're a really healthy nine, they're not going to gr- be a great mediator. But the more that they assert themselves into being able to prioritize seeing, they can really step in and be a benefit to others in that way. And then they can be mediators in a, in a really beautiful way that almost no other type could. Yeah. So, yeah. So grabbing high sides of that three is really, really good for nines, but also just widening that focus of attention of like the agendas of others to be able to like, you have significance to speak into a situation or to show up or to use your voice or whatever that looks like. That's good. We love our nines. We're so good. We do. All right. We, our, our firstborns are both nines. We, we are fairly certain. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because most people would without Enneagram language, most people say birth order would mean that the firstborn is generally more assertive and more type A and those things. Um, But I just think that that kind of, now a nine as a firstborn could look different than a nine that's a middle child, maybe. Sure. 
a, a firstborn that's a nine and a firstborn that's an eight going to look very different. <laughs> right. <laughs> First order does not change that lens. Nope. Speaking of our lovely eights, yep. uh, here we go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what happens when an Enneagram eight moves toward wholeness? They go from seeing everything in black and white, rid rigid lines, binaries, right and wrong, to getting curious about other perspectives. Like maybe there's a little bit more gray. Maybe their lens can broaden a little bit um, to see more than they have always thought or something like that. I just, I feel like eights, eights and ones probably of the two numbers get stuck in black and white thinking more than any other number. And so eights moving into growth, it's going to really widen that perspective. You know what I just saw, and this is somewhat unrelated to this particular series, but mm -hmm. you're talking about eights and ones being stuck on those lines. Ones want to know where the line is so that they can toe the line. And I feel like eights are very focused on where are the gates, where are the boundaries, where are the limitations, where are the safe places, you know? Um, and so their focus on that, that black, that line, that black and white is very different and for a very different purpose. If anything, it might be so that they can lean on it. <laughs> right. Fall and the boundary where one is like, I want to toe the line and know that I'm doing what's right. Um, but the ones are like, stay away from the line. And eights are like, let me see if the line holds. <laughs> yes. So their focus on it is for very different reasons. And I think that's kind of funny. That's good. Um, um eight. Oh, go ahead. Nope. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say eights always also have a tendency to kind of react in the moment. We've talked before about how they're feeling repressed. So like anger and excitement, they can get pretty easily. And those are going to be the things that like come out when they're reacting to something. But one of the growth paths for them is to learn to pause, to process and actually take time to even feel maybe the other person's feelings or their own feelings before responding so that it's not immediate anger that comes out at somebody or just any reaction that feels big, you know? Well, and we know for someone in the aggressive stance, pulling up that repressed center to, to work on feelings is going to be important. But I also like that you put that in the context of where they go in security is to two. So to pause mm -hmm. and take time to think about what the other person might be feeling is a huge growth step because that moves them into that more security space of, of the line they share with two. And yeah. at the same time, pulls up their repressed center, even though it's not necessarily directly related to their own feelings, it still would help them in that to get in touch with feelings past yeah. their gut instinct kind of body ones. Well, the last one that you have is that they move from leading by controlling and micromanaging into really pulling out, calling out the gifts and talents of others. And I think that's when you can really see an eight in a healthy space as a leader. Um, we just naturally tend to look to them as, uh, you know, some, some handles for the eight is the challenger, some is the boss. I think they're just naturally born leaders, but they can be bullies, they can be jerks, or they can be inspiring. They can really call out those gifts in other people. And you can usually see a young eight leader <laughs> compared to an older one that's had done mm -hmm. some work. Their age doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get better, but you know, some, one that's done some work, there's just a lot more nuance to the way that they uh, delegate and, and hold people accountable in, um, in a way that brings out the best in them. Yeah, that's like the difference between, you've seen those images probably like in a workplace environment where there's somebody, like the boss is sitting in the chariot and like driving the people that are pulling the chariot forward. It's like you 
you know, drive it, drive it, drive it versus he's at the front of the pack with the yoke on leading everyone and carrying the burden with the people following. It's kind of the difference in like just normal good leadership is more about pulling out and calling out, like you said, what the other people's strengths are and not just all that micromanaging. But for an eight whose focus of attention is always going to be power and control, they are just that they're never not going to be aware of who can be trusted with the power and control. So the more that they can learn to trust, the more that that can widen for them. So it's not even about like that they need the power and control. They just need to trust that who they give it to can handle it. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. All right. Moving backwards and not on moving (laughs) sevens. Sevens moving toward wholeness. You have me all self-conscious. I don't even want to talk about sevens now. I'm going to make you say the first one because I need you to define it. All right. Well, sevens, especially young sevens, they're going to make decisions with impulsivity. They're going to make irrational sometimes both feet in jump. I mean, we've literally heard stories. Oh, Brock Morgan has been on our podcast and told a story about when he was in college. I don't know if you told it on our podcast, but we've heard him tell it. They went to like an underground river and like you jump in and it takes you underground and like shoots you up into the air and you don't know what you're like in just in rocks. Like it's like a natural water slide. And his friends were like, who's going to go first? And he was like, I'll do it. And like, just literally jumped in like, what the heck did I just do? And that we were like, we, you and I looked at each other when he told that story and we're like, I think he's an Enneagram seven. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like, there were tree branches hitting it, roots, you know, that were underground oh my gosh. rocks. He was, I, I can't even imagine no. what would make you that fearless and risky. Like that, that is risky. But do okay. you know what would have helped 20 year old Brock make a better decision? No, but I, I would like you to say it. <laughs> if he had perspicacity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is a word I'm reading and I think I've heard it before, but I just, I'm reading it out loud to Megan before we start this. And I'm like, perspicacity informs future steps. Are we supposed to go look that word up? So, so to help our listeners out, give them the definition for perspicacity. So you, first of all, you should know that when I was in high school, I was fairly obsessed with Christian romance writers and my favorite author at the time which it almost is very cringy to read now, but my favorite author at the time was Lori Wick. And which actually my daughter, Kaylin is named after her middle name is named after a Lori Wick character. But um, in a book called Bamboo and Lace, there is a girl who comes over and lives in Hawaii and she was raised as a missionary kid. And she is sitting around this family table with these friends of her brother's and she and this guy have eyes for each other, but nobody really notices yet, or they all notice and maybe the two of them don't, something like that. But anyway, she drops the word perspicacity in the dinner conversation and the whole table goes silent and looks to the guy. And he has to confess that when he was in high school, he came home and said, I'm going to marry the first girl who knows what perspicacity means. <gasps> so the oh, <laughs> spoiler alert, they get married. <laughs> But I have never forgotten that word because, and I've probably read that book a hundred times, but I've never forgotten that word, but it basically just means like having a vision for the future, having insight into the future. It's a different perspective that's made with wisdom and insight and um, gathering information and not just making reckless decisions. 
And I know that you think that sevens aren't going to take the time to look up what this word means, but I'm saying if a seven wants to grow, they're going to take the time to pause and look up this word because making impulsive rash decisions is what a seven who is immature does. So that's why I included it. There you go. Thank you, sevens. Well, I love the story of that coming from the Laurie Wick novel. That's really funny. All right. So another uh, point that you have here is that sevens can often feel unsatisfied with circumstances. And of course, we know their focus of attention is planning for pleasurable possibilities. So if they're always focused there, they can be kind of unsatisfied where they are often. And instead, as they grow and move toward wholeness, they can find joy in the present moment. So their future forward thinking can kind of, as you said, take take pause for a second. It gets them a little more grounded where they are and they can maybe really just find that life is filled with joys, even in the mundane and even in the moments that are right here in front of us. Yeah. And sevens go towards five, uh, for their growth path. So, um, I think that that is a move that kind of slows them down a little bit and keeps them from bounding into whatever the next thing is right away. When I hear the word bounding, I think of Tigger, which does describe a seven fairly well. I think Tigger is a seven. Oh, I think Eeyore might be a four. <laughs> I don't think we have to think about that. <laughs> wow. No, I don't know that that's true. He's, he could be a six too, because he's kind of like worst case scenario. I think that's Rabbit. Oh, really? Isn't it? Yeah, Rabbit's yeah, like the paranoid one. Anyway. Well, okay. <laughs> to be honest, I think anytime I turn on anything when my kids were little, that was... Uh, Winnie the Pooh, it is the most boring thing. So boring. It's so boring. So I really don't know them very well. But anyway, moving right along. Anyway. Yeah. So another thing that sevens do though with their brokenness is they can tend to swing towards like that really unhealthy one space where their anger can come out when like people are blocking their fun. So if someone's keeping them from planning for pleasurable possibilities, then that can come out as irritation or resentment towards those people but a healthy seven a whole seven is going to take ownership of their own responsibilities and it's part of being in the present moment and not moving past them too quickly that's good all right i'm going to move backward towards six now and six maybe let us know do you identify more with eeyore or rabbit (laughs) (laughs) okay so Sixes, though, uh, we know that they're afraid to try new things because of this worst case scenario mindset and and just the fear around that. And it's a such a beautiful thing to see sixes moving toward wholeness when they are stepping forward and cure it. Oh, I mix those two words together. Courage and curiosity. Curiosity. I think I'm going to make a new word. Sixes, you need curiosity. <laughs> I don't even know how anything to do that. Um, okay. They also tend to self-doubt. They maybe make a decision in their head and then question it and then ask somebody and then ask the Google and then ask somebody else and then ask themselves again. But when they can start making decisions in like with clarity and trusting themselves, that's a huge move for sexes um, to move towards wholeness. That's good. Um, they tend to be very suspicious of everyone else's motives as well. And so seeing them engaged in healthy interdependent relationships is a really beautiful thing. And that's where the gift of, we call them the loyalist often. That's what the six is called. And that's where you really begin to see the gift of who they are come out because they are community minded. And when they can engage in a healthy way, 
they bring people together, they keep groups together, all of those things that we love sixes for. And so it's such an important step to take to get past that um, suspicious mind that keeps them separate from others. That's, it's funny because I was really debating on what to put there because I feel like counterphobic sixes are going to be more suspicious and skeptical than phobic sixes who I think are going to want to be more codependent um, and reliant on others to make decisions for them. Mm-hmm. So the reason I say like the, the move towards wholeness, whether you are too dependent on people or suspicious of others, the move is to be an interdependent relationships. Interdependent. So mm-hmm. it really, yeah, it really could have gone either way for that. I kind of just chose suspicious, but because I think even phobic sixes are going to be suspicious, even if they rely a little bit more heavily on people than counterphobic ones do, but the move there is still the same. And it, interdependent always implies that there is um, some healthy boundaries. So w- when you go back up to your first point about the self-doubt, as that begins to decrease, you can have better boundaries about who you are in relationship to other people too. So yeah. you can have your own thoughts and opinions and that is going to be safe, you know, as well as it is that someone could disagree with you or vice versa. So I think that yeah. is a great language to use. Uh, fives. Enneagram fives. Oh, we didn't say, sorry, backing up for a second. We didn't say that sixes. Did we say that their security move though is to look a little bit more like nines? So it is going to like kind of a little bit moving from anxious to calm in in some ways. Um, So that interdependent relationship thing, I think is something they pull from that nine space where they can move into those spaces and not be so suspicious or so dependent or whatever that looks like. That's good, yeah. Fives though, fives go to eight insecurity. So that you're going to see some really good eight boundaries um, at play here um, and even some seven ones because that's another connecting line for fives. Um, fives can, they get paralyzed too, not, not as much by indecision, but by the fear of not knowing enough or being incompetent enough, um, too incompetent to move forward. So they can tend to get stuck in procrastination there, but they're move toward wholeness is when they can start trusting in this, this, the inner self of them that knows and is capable. So it's having confidence in who they were created to be. I think that's good. I, uh, in working with some fives, you can see something come over them when there's too much information or something was sprung on them that they weren't prepared for. And that incompetence fear is like just this whole shut down paralysis. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I definitely have seen that on people's faces for sure. Um, And, you know, just in general, they're in this withdrawing stance. So they're going to tend to isolate, to regroup and numb out as part of that withdrawing stance. Uh, And so seeing them come into this space where they're allowing the unexpected and they can be full of joy and even delight. I love that word for them. We, we use that another time we were talking with, about fives, finding delight in the things that uh, would be the triggering thing to move them into paralysis, right? But being able to step into more wholeness and, and just finding joy in those unexpected moments, I think is a really cool thing. And that's think, their, sorry. Yeah, that's their seven space, I mm-hmm. think, um, yeah. which we, it's normally would be called a stress move, but we know that there are beautiful things from our, like those connecting lines and those stress moves. So that's where the seven comes into play for them. Um, and we also know that their focus of attention is in gathering. So fives want to learn everything right now. Like they just, they have to do it. They have to know it right now. They have to um, figure it all out before they can get started. It's part of that paralysis we were talking about. But when they can like just be comfortable in the present, 
and comfort. Oh my goodness. is a terrifying concept for fives. Like just the idea of being comfortable scares them Mm -hmm. um, because they're afraid that when they get too comfortable, the the bottom is going to fall out from underneath them. So when they can figure out how to be in the present moment without needing to gather more or learn everything and then just enjoy what's now, like that's going to widen their focus of attention and kind of meet that core fear. That's really good. Just simply be present, vibes. All right, we're here to you, the fours. Great. So focus of attention for four is always on what's missing, right? And we know that as we grow in wholeness, we can take, uh, our focus can widen and we can take in more data than just what that initial focus of attention goes to. And so it's really beautiful to see fours who can walk in integration and confidence instead of remaining focused on what's missing, what is missing in them. Uh, When they feel more whole, they move into more wholeness, which is that beautiful confidence that they can display. I mean, I agree with this in in theory, but right now I'm just very focused on missing that Taylor Swift concert. (laughs) And I just, I feel that missing piece still there. So no, it's messing with my integration. Okay. (laughs) You're just rolling your eyes at me like this. You're not even pretending like I'm, I don't know. You don't understand me at all. <laughs> You're right. I don't understand you. Moving on to number two. <laughs> so fours tend to be very absorbed with what is occurring internally. You may just you made guys, that I'm just, Yeah, I'm just using this as an illustration. Here's a real life illustration for you. You're welcome. <laughs> but when they can move into wholeness, they can begin to seek to care for the needs of others. And I think I have definitely seen you do that. Oh. Well, I do think that my daughter should have also been at the Taylor Swift concert for their <laughs> needs. Well, there you go. All right. Fours also tend in an unhealthy state to pull on others for identity and belonging. Um, but their move towards wholeness is found in that one space. Um, and then they also connect to two. So some of that confidence and caring for others and then finding their value in their own self and then seeking reciprocal relationships instead of trying to pull, pull, pull all the time Mm -hmm. is a little bit of that kind of the right action of one and that um, the servanthood of a two that they're going to kind of find and pull on a little bit. That's good. I like in six, you use the word interdependent, which is really insightful Mm -hmm. for them. And I think that reciprocal relationship is a good one here too, because the other thing is you recognize in your own identity and value that you have something to offer part right. of the reason it's not just self-centered that it would always be pulling toward you it's that no, it's self-loathing <laughs> you need something from them to fix what you're missing but when you right. have more of that internal wholeness now you have something to offer and it can be a reciprocal relationship that's really right beautiful. all right and again threes um they can tend to get focused on their focus of attention is tasks and goals, and they'll tend to run over people in order to reach the finish line. But threes move to six insecurity, and you can really see that because they'll stop running over people when they're walking in more wholeness, and they'll seek to collaborate with others and really cheerlead other people on. Yeah, it's a good move. It's hard. Again, that that focus of attention is so hard. It takes Mm -hmm. so much intentional work to step back from that and take in more information. But when they do, because they're feeling dominant, they do sense what other people are feeling. If they can step back a little bit off the task and goal and see, oh, I hurt their feelings. Like, I really think that threes are moved by that and they want to fix that, you know? So all that focus of attention is just so important to begin to understand and recognize and 
see more then. Once, once you have the awareness of what it is, you have to step back and start seeing more. And I think the second point that I make, it's not, because we're not saying your focus of attention is wrong. Like we have to accomplish tasks and goals. Like we would not have a productive society if we didn't set tasks and goals in front of us to accomplish. Not that anyone's focus of attention is wrong, but when we can see it from a broader perspective, instead of being driven by the fear of failure and worthlessness if they don't accomplish what they've set out to do, a three can actually start reaching the finish line and excelling, but out of the joy of of what they're doing out of an abundance of who they are, as opposed to, I have to get this, I have to get this. It just, it turns from driven, being driven to um, being joyful, really. Yeah. Ooh, delighted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Constantly moving and striving is how I would I, totally uh, describe a younger three. A, a, little a whirlwind bit. of energy. A whirlwind of energy. But as they move into wholeness, they can learn how to simply be and just be loved as they are without all of the striving. And that that is really one of the best things to see on the Enneagram when a three begins to know that they're loved for just being who they are. It's really cool. All right. Back to twos. Oh, you're going to cry. All right. Twos. Twos move to four insecurity. We also know that their focus of attention is the needs of others. Um and because they're so focused on the needs of others, they don't know their own needs. And so they are dependent on others for identity in that broken state. But when they can walk in more wholeness, they can move forward in their own calling, their own strength. That's good. And, and, and that I'm going to skip down to my third one, actually. Oh, go, ahead. go for it. Because that depending on others for identity, they're also living to please and serve others. But in their wholeness, they actually can identify their own needs and desires. So it is some of that four energy of getting a little bit more introspective that helps them because you can't live selflessly if you don't know yourself, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Dr. Allison Cook that we've had on here twice, actually, uh, the most recent one was our 100th episode, if you'd like to go back and listen to it. But in her book, uh, The Best of You, she talks about that difference between selfishness and selflessness, there is selfhood. And that's where we're trying to come to a place of balance here. Twos tend to fall on the selfless side, while maybe like the four might fall on the selfish just because of their internal. And And we think the word selfless sounds good, but it's its own form of manipulation and pride is what Allison's definition was. Yeah. And so they're not, so that's what your second point here on your slide is manipulating others for affirmation is what they're doing in that selflessness. But as they move towards selfhood, they can express hurts and disappointments with balance. And so I think that's just a really healthy perspective to move toward the middle of that spectrum into standing in their own selfhood and knowing what they are. And some of that they can get from their connecting line with eight. They can find those boundaries and some of their own sense of self there. Yep, that's good. All All right. right. We're finishing oh, yeah. with ones. Here we are. Off to you. Why don't you why don't you start? Oh, Enneagram ones typically like <laughs> a to-do list as a priority. I I don't know what that means, except I do have a lot of lists all the time going in a lot of places. <laughs> and if and I will say I'm one of those people that if I can't cross it off, I will like like if I did something that I hadn't had on my list, I might add it just so I can cross it off. Well, of course you will. <laughs> but 
moving toward wholeness, which apparently I'm not quite there yet, ones can hold space for both thinking and feeling. Um, my list checking can tend to be almost, almost like a nine would use certain things to numb. It's like, yeah. it, it, it you're doing me. center. It's like a manic narcotic for you. Yes. And if I can keep doing that, I don't have to. Move. And when I have to think and I get stuck, I need to get up and do something and knock something off a list. So, um, except I, that doesn't actually pull you, your thinking up to go do for you at least. No, it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I go to do when I have to think because I don't want to think it's my way of right. not doing that. Uh, so I can definitely see that holding space for the thinking and feeling is a very important part and helps to pull that repressed center up. Yep. I think, I think stillness is the word I was not wanting to put there, but it's kind of the word I meant there when you're holding space to think and feel there's a stillness that comes and your chest got all tight just now. When I started talking about stillness, I have been like swirling in my seat and like rubbing my neck this whole podcast. Cause I've been running a hundred miles an hour today and to have to all of a sudden sit feels like my body is rejecting it. <laughs> Well, ones see errors internally and externally. Their focus of attention, we know, is errors and mistakes. Um, and they move to seven insecurity. So part of that is that they can start to look and see the beauty and delight and all of these um, moments to be thankful for as they look around. And I know that that has been a thing for you and me both. We've both been working on Eucharist Aeolus off and on for several years, but this year we are like, found and determined to get to a thousand before December 31st. And like, I'm on track. I don't know about you, but we're, I mean, you're close. Like I think, right. I'm at 500. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'm at like 550 something. So like, not bad. Like I'll, when winter starts coming, mine will go down a little bit each day because it's more depressing. Harder to um, yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, I think gratitude for any number is really the antidote for some of that brokenness we experience. I think if we don't know what to do, finding something to be thankful for in the moment is always going to kind of lift our head a little bit. Um, but for ones definitely who are always focused on errors and mistakes, noticing, intentionally noticing what's right is going to be a really hard and good practice. I think it's true um, in relationships too. Is It's a new mm. area. I've been seeing that because I, I could tell you, I see the crumbs in the room. I see the thing, you know, that's crooked, that's hanging, blah, blah, blah. That's all of these things that I want to fix. But I think what was hard about parenting or ministering to people at all is you also see everything that's wrong with someone, like their personality, yeah. their, <laughs> the things they do that annoy you, whatever. And I, um, I think noticing that's just part of my focus of attention. It's not because I'm just like was I'm just a terrible critical person but when I recognize oh my focus of attention is to go there first that's just like my gift of seeing the world that way but I can step back and be like but look at the other beauty in this person these other things that I'm so thankful for about them it balances that out so there's well, and we know as you know we know as parents and even as teachers like if all you're doing is pointing out the mistakes on a paper or the mistakes when someone's cleaning their room, they're not actually learning much, but when you start pointing out the things they're doing right, they're gonna keep building on it. So your gift as a reformer, you see the errors and mistakes so that you can help make people better. But if you're only doing it by pointing out the errors and mistakes, all you're doing is adding shame. Whereas if you're calling out what you see that's right, you're actually helping people grow and improve. So just switching that tiny little shift, like it's still not changing how you're seeing them, but it's shifting it to go, what can I pull out that's so good and, and, and 
let them embrace more. And it will help me then really experience more beauty in life because unfortunately we are just in relationship with people and none of them are perfect, including (laughs) I think in the last 24 hours, I have both uttered the phrase, I love people and I hate people (laughs) in two different contexts, both completely accurately, but this last one I need to say myself because it just, okay. Uh, in a more unhealthy space, we can feel resentful that others don't work as hard as we do. But when we can grow and move toward wholeness, we can take time to breathe and rest. And that is an ongoing process for me. But I believe that I am shifting more and more into that the older I get. I am so far from there, though. That's a hard well, one. Gosh. You like completely just qualified how much growth you haven't done yet rather than say how much you have. <laughs> well, every time I get to a place where I think I've done some growth, then I'm like, oh, but this last week I, I've been just mad about it. I've got so many tasks to do and so much. And nobody else works this many hours and this hard and has all this stuff. And so I'm just putting myself to bed because I deserve it. That's, that's just not a great attitude to have in life. <laughs> kind of makes you not see the beauty <laughs> in the moment. I don't really have a comment there, but I see, I see that you have found more time to find that seven space without having to escape to a vacation for it. Yeah. I think you're doing it more and more just in life, which is, I think a really good space for you. No, I do think I'm, I'm better at it. It's just- it helps to be in a job that you're really passionate about too, you know, where you really can do what you're gifted for. And like that reforming piece is at pre- like, even when it's complicated, or even when people are people, you're doing something that you know you're called to do. And I think that helps you know that even the hard work is right. Yeah. And I think that the fact that I'm so aware, like on a daily basis, when I have found myself shift into that resentment or not even resentment, but just like exhaustion of going hundred miles an hour, like yeah. daily, I take a step back and go breathe rest like that right there is just it's almost like you saw my sabbath practices for enneagram ones almost like i did (laughs) breathe awesome we all All we all need to be grateful those are those are good takeaways for all of us but if you want more information specific (laughs) to your type go check out at enneagram megan and that wraps up another episode of the dauntless grace exchange Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.